So we've been talking about heaven. Uh, and we've talked the last couple of weeks about what the eternal, the difference between present heaven, heaven where you go now, when you die now, you go to present heaven. But there's coming an eternal heaven where heaven comes to earth. So we're going to spend eternity on the new heaven and the new earth. We're not spending heaven. Heaven's not out there. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where the new Jerusalem comes down to earth. God brings heaven to earth, so God comes to dwell with us, which was Eden's original plan. If you read the book of uh, Genesis, you realize that God's plan was to dwell with man on the earth. And we messed it up. We lost it. So God is... God didn't give up on his plan. God is going to fulfill his plan. So today I want to talk about eternal heaven is God's answer to suffering. Uh, We all suffer uh, in life. We don't always all suffer at the same time in the same ways, but we all suffer through different seasons, different difficulties, different things that happen to us. We suffer loss. If you live long enough, you're going to suffer the loss of your parents. You're going to suffer the loss of friends. You're going to suffer the loss of, of uh, your spouse. Uh, you're going to suffer the loss of yourself. Uh, we're all going to die. Uh, I just, can't, just want to encourage you. It's remind you today. Uh, <laughs> be encouraged. Uh, so, so how do we... Ha- how do- how we handle suffering and what is the, how does suffering work? Well, heaven is God's answer to suffering. It is, it's the reward. Heaven is better than this. How many of you believe heaven's better than this, right? So we're going to go to someplace better than this. <clears throat> In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Romans chapter 8, you know, is one of these rich, 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 uh, chapter of the Bible, probably one of the richest. And Paul says, I consider that our present suffering, uh, so he's going through difficult times. They, everybody in Rome, they're, they're being persecuted uh, uh, greatly for their faith. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He said, he said it's not worth the comparison. <clears throat> I may need a water. Somebody grab me a water. Or some. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. I think Jim's doing it. Or somebody's doing it. There's somebody else goes. Land Perry's going. All right. Second Corinthians 4. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Sometimes we lose heart. We get discouraged. Paul says we don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Paul said, although my, my physical man is wearing out, he said, my inner man is being, is being charged up. It's being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs. Thank you. Thank you. And he even, he even opened it. It's like concierge service, you know. <laughs> he wants a raise. That's what somebody said. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. He just got one. Already got one. So, so he's just acting out of what he got. All right? <laughs> for our light, he's, he's just that way. He's a good guy, right? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul says the glory that's coming outweighs the trouble. 
It's hard sometimes for us to see that. So we fix our eyes on what, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. This is temporary. It's not eternal, it's temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Now Paul wrote uh, 2 Corinthians from Macedonia, and years later, about 55 AD. This is, a, you know, this is an educated guess. And he probably died two years later at the at, uh, age of 57 at the hands of Nero. So Paul is writing from his own experience. He's saying, hey, we're going through some tough times, but uh, it's, it's momentary light affliction. And listen to what momentary light affliction was to Paul. This is his momentary light affliction. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. And been exposed to, to death again and again. He's bragging about this, you know. Hey, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. Sleep. I've, I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So Paul's saying, I, hey, hey guys, it's not worthy to be compared. He said, listen, I've been through some stuff. He said, I'm not saying it wasn't hard. It's been hard. I'm not saying it didn't hurt. He said, I've been beaten. Been, I've been whipped. I've been beaten. He didn't say that it made sense at the time. You know, sometimes that's our struggles. I don't understand what's going on. It doesn't make sense to me at the time. What's going on? He didn't even say he liked it. He said it didn't compare to what was coming. He said, this isn't Terry bad. He said, I'm not going to tell you that it hadn't been bad. He said, but, but what I've been through is a momentary light affliction. I don't, I don't think most of us would consider that a momentary light affliction. We've been beaten five times. We've been shipwrecked three times. Maybe a night and a day. Can you imagine a night and a day in the open ocean hoping to be rescued? You know, a night and a day. Dangers on the rivers, dangers from false brethren, dangers from Gentiles, dangers from the Jews. Everywhere you look, Paul said, but when you compare it, he said, listen, I want you to compare it. When you compare it, it is a momentary light affliction compared to eternal reward. He said, Get, he's, he's saying, hey, hey guys, eternity outweighs it. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. So what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Eternal glory far outweighs them all. It's not that temporary suffering is small. It's not that Paul's suffering was small. 
Because it wasn't. It wasn't that your suffering is small. God's not saying your suffering is small. God cares about all your suffering. It's that eternal glory is so huge and eternal and glorious. It's not that your suffering is small. It's just that in comparison to what is coming, it is small. It's like, so think about it. If, if your suffering may be huge, and so you put it on one side of the scale, this is my suffering on one side of the scale, and on the other side of the scale is you put uh, eternal physical heaven on earth. In other words, we're, it, we're not going to float around on clouds. We're not going to be playing a harp for eternity. We're not going to be doing nothing. We're not going to be a long, one long church service. We're going to be living, working, serving, relating to one another, worshiping God. Uh, so you put my suffering on one side of the scale, then you put this eternal, physical heaven, the glorious presence of God, for us to be in God's presence, to be with God, to walk with God, to talk with God, to fellowship with God, to joke with God. Do you, do you don't think God has a sense of hum- humor? Yeah. Yeah. Look at you right? God's glorious presence, his eternal glory, everlasting happiness, endless beauty, unbroken relationships, and it just goes on and on and on that we're going to experience an eternal heaven. Paul says, hey, there's no comparison. Yeah, these momentary light afflictions, it's real stuff, it really hurts, it's really pain, we really have lost, we've lost loved ones, we've lost friends, we've lost spouses, we've lost family, we've lost, we've really had difficulty, but keep it in perspective, Paul says, because it's momentary light affliction compared to the glory that is coming. There's no comparison. How long would, it be, would you be in heaven? Let's think, think about this. Until you say it was worth it. How long will you be in heaven until you say it was worth it? So you're, so you're in heaven five seconds and then you say, okay, it was worth it. Wow. Well, I didn't, okay, I didn't really see it. I didn't really understand it. Five seconds. Uh, but now I see it. So now it's worth it. Now I've got eternity of heaven. I had, I had a short amount of trouble. I had trouble, but it's not worth it. It could be compared with the glory that's before us. I've seen it, or will it be five minutes? What if, what if you're a real stubborn person? It takes you five, five years to work through all your, you know, you think, oh, I've been through a lot of troubles. And then you still, at the end of five years, or maybe you're really, really stubborn, it takes you 50 years. Or like me, it's going to take you 500 years. And you think, oh, okay, now, okay, now God, we're even. Right? Then you've still got eternity. You've still got unlimited time to enjoy the glories and the presence of God. It's going to be wonderful. I mean, don't, don't you think, I, I think we'll be tempted to fall at his feet in wonder and amazement and say, God, I'm sorry. I complained. I moaned. I didn't understand. I questioned. I doubted. But now, now I see. I see how the puzzle pieces fit together. I just saw my little piece of the puzzle and I didn't understand. I didn't understand why it was so twisted and crooked and 
and the picture didn't make sense. It was a weird color, and I didn't understand what was going on. But now, here, I see it all. I see what you were doing. And we're going to say, God, I'm sorry that I complained. Paul says, listen, guys, I want you to get this. There's no comparison. There's no comparison to the glory that is set before us. You know, often they use the example of that, you know, that God's weaving together our life and, and we can only see the, the knotted side of the tapestry. We can't see the, the beautiful picture that's on the other side. We can't see what God's doing from his side. We just have this limited picture, this, this limited finite amount of time. I mean, our life is a vapor that appears for a time and vanishes away, right? You get a little bit, the older you get, the better sense you get of that, right? <laughs> You get older, you think, ooh, this is quick. This happened quicker than I thought it was going to happen. It's quick. Life is a vapor. So, wow. There's no comparison. Come on. God turns bad into best. God causes, I know you know this verse. It's a great verse. Again, in Romans chapter 8. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God is able to make bad things work for good. Did you know that? That's why we call the worst day in history Good Friday. Have you thought about that? I mean, we call the worst day, when the best man who ever lived was murdered for his goodness, we call Good Friday because the guys, the disciples, the followers of Christ, they didn't see what God was doing. But God was doing something. They didn't understand what was going to happen on the third day. They didn't realize that that third day, that resurrection was a picture of their coming resurrection. They didn't realize what was unfolding. They didn't see it. But God took bad Friday and turned it into good Friday. I think Joseph, I, I love the character Joseph in the Bible. Uh, he's got some great qualities that are Christ-like. Genesis chapter 50, verse 12, I think Joseph had a glimpse of this. He got a glimpse, a little glimpse of how this works. So Abraham has died, and if you know the story about Joseph, so Joseph was, was not Abraham, Jacob has died. Jacob has died. And, and Joseph, who's his son, he has been, he's protected the family, but now they're worried that he's going to get revenge on them. The brothers are worried that now that dad's dead, that Joseph is going to get revenge because they threw him into pit, sold him into slavery. They started this all. And so they're thinking, oh no, well now that dad's gone, he's going to, he's going to get even with us. So he had been assisted, buried in Canaan, so they took him back to Canaan. They buried Jacob as he had asked. Thus his sons did for him as he had charged them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field for a burial site from Ephraim the Hittite. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. He and his brothers, all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said... What if Joseph bears a grudge against us 
and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did him. So that's a good, I mean, you know, they know they did a horrible thing. I mean, I mean, you probably have a dysfunctional family. We all have a little bit of dysfunction in our family. You know, my great-great-grandfather was killed by an ax, by his, you know, that, all that stuff. So I've got a weird dysfunctional family uh, that I've survived. And so you do too. And, uh, but this was, a, this was like the poster child of dysfunctional families. I mean, uh, Esau and Jacob, you know, <laughs> he grew up in a family where there's preferential treatment of one child or the other, Jacob and Esau, and the father loved Esau and the mother loved Jacob. And so he grew up in that. So then how does he deal with that? When he has sons, he has a, he has a preferred son which causes all kinds of chaos and causes him to have all kinds of difficulties. And so his brothers in jealousy sell him into slavery. So he said, you know, they've done this horrible thing to him. So what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back and forth for all the wrong, which we did to him? So they sent a messenger to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died. Thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. Now, did he really say that or they just make that up? It's like, hey, let's tell him that dad said you need to forgive us. <laughs> and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the, the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we're your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, He's saying, don't, for I am in God's place. So this means either he's saying, don't be afraid because God's given me authority here. Or he's saying, don't be afraid because I'm going to forgive you the way God forgives us. I'm in God's place. I have the ability to do it. I have the desire to do it. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I mean, here's his chance to get revenge. Here's his chance to get even. Dad's gone. Nobody's going to know. He's got the power. He can do whatever he wants. He says, no, no, I've already forgiven you. He actually named his child, his children, Ephraim and Manasseh. The Lord has caused me to forget. The Lord has caused me to forget all my pain in all my father's household. He named his kids in, to help him remember that he'd forgiven his brothers. And he forgave them before they came and asked for forgiveness. He forgave them before they came. This is a great apology, finally. This is, you know, this is a great apology. You know, sometimes we're like, I'm, I'm not going to forgive them. They didn't apologize good enough. You ever do that? I mean, I've had people say, I don't think your apology was sincere. It's like, it really, it was. For Now it's not, but for a little bit it was. But now I'm mad again. Because <laughs> now I need you to apologize for, to me for not accepting my apology. Sin just goes on and on. And he, he, but Joseph, Joseph, he's seen it. He's seen something. He's, he's seen the goodness of God. He's seen, he's a dreamer. He's seen God's plan. He's seen what God is doing. And, and he's, he's excited about it. He, you know, he's, he's saying to the listen, guys, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. When you, when you, when you threw me in the pit, and then when the traitors came by, you sold me into slavery. I couldn't see then that God meant it for good. And then when I ended up in Potiphar's house 
as a slave. I went from the, the, the preferred son to the slave. And I'm having to work like a slave in Potiphar's house, and I couldn't see it. I couldn't see that God meant it for good. And then when Potiphar's wife falsely accused me of attempting to rape her, I didn't know what, I didn't understand that. I didn't like that. Because I've been a man of integrity, and my integrity was questioned. And I didn't like that, but <laughs> I didn't see that God was working for good. And then they took me from Potiphar's house and put me in the prison, and, and before you know it, I'm managing the prison, but I'm in prison. I didn't like that. I didn't see that God was working for my good. And then I got a chance to interpret the dream of the baker, the king's servants, the butler. I got to interpret their dreams, and I said, hey, don't forget me. When you, when, when you get restored to power, don't forget me. And they forgot me and left me in this prison. I didn't see that God was working for my good. But one day, I got called from the prison to the palace. One day, Pharaoh said, now you're in charge of everything. One day, I realized what God was doing, and God did that to bring about this present result. God did that stuff to me <laughs> to work out this stuff in us, to bring about this present result of preserving life. Not only that, I think he said this, this palace is not the end, fellas. God's calling us to the promise. And the promise isn't the end. Because at the end of the promise is paradise. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He said, man, it's not worthy to be compared. Because God can take bad stuff and turn it into good stuff. In Acts chapter 4, they're preaching... Uh, they've, they've been thrown in prison, and uh, they've been told not to preach the name of Jesus. So they go back to the rest of the, the people that weren't thrown in prison, and they have a prayer meeting. And they're praying about God empowering them and using them, you know. So this, this is kind of the heart of the prayer meeting. So they're praying. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Did you, did you get that? I'm going to read it again. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, all the, all the powers of Rome, and the peoples of Israel, all of the Israel, you know, they were all against Jesus, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Bad people doing bad things accomplished exactly what God had predestined to happen. Did you get that? He said, so, 
So they killed Jesus. And that was just what God planned. God's plan all along, he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So God's plan all along, all of history is moving to this moment. So all these bad actors are doing these bad deeds, but they're accomplishing God's will at the same time. So think about this. Take some time to list the worst things that have ever happened to you. Then list the best things. You'll be astonished by how many of the best things came out of the worst things. Trust God to do the same with the things that right now don't make sense. In the hands of a sovereign God, with sovereign grace, our sufferings give birth to future happiness beyond our wildest dreams. Jesus said, your grief will turn to joy. This is one of those little passages of Scripture. I know I've read it a hundred times. I'm sure I've read it. It's John, the Gospel of John. And as I read it, I, like I saw it in a different light. You ever, that ever happened to you when you're reading the Bible? You've read it a hundred times, you read it, and you think, wow, I didn't see it like that before. John chapter 16, Jesus with his disciples. He says, a little while, <coughs> and you'll no longer see me. And again a little while, and, and you will see me. That the thing, you know, he said, "Hey guys, in a little while you won't see me. In a little while you will see me." And so some of his disciples then said to one another, "What is this thing he's telling us? A little while you'll not see me, and again in a little while you will see me, and because I go to the Father." So they were talking. They're saying, "What is this that he says? A little while we don't know where, what he's talking about." Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said, A little while you will see me, not see me, and again, a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come, but when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born to the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I'll see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. He says, you're going to grieve, and then you're going to rejoice. He said, and that rejoicing, no one will ever be able to take away from you. You're going to grieve right now. He said, but in a few days, you're going to rejoice again because you're going to see me again. And you're going to see something. You're going to see something you didn't know you were going to see. You're going to see the resurrected Savior. And that resurrection, this resurrection, is the first fruits of all resurrection. It's the first fruit of your resurrection. It's the first fruits of the new heaven and the new earth. This resurrection is so important. It's so powerful that it turns everything. It turns bad to good. It turns bad Friday into good Friday. 
And it turns Sunday morning into Easter and the resurrection. It said, you will see me. Psalm 1611, the psalmist. David got, made a lot of mistakes, but he sure got a lot of stuff right. You will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It doesn't compare to what's coming. Trouble now, suffering now, grief now, it doesn't compare. It's, it's real trouble, it's real grief, and it's real sorrow. And he doesn't diminish it. He just overwhelms it with a glorious promise of a glorious future in heaven. One of the ways we hang on, one of the ways we hang on in difficult days Saints have been doing it since they were martyred in the first century. One of the ways that we hang on during difficult days is because we have the promise of an eternal heaven that nothing compares to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Not just to us, but in us. And that is what we hang on to. Amen? Let's pray. Stand up. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you understand our troubles. You understand our suffering because no one has suffered the way that you suffered. It wasn't that you just died on the cross for our sins. You did die on the cross for our sins. It's not that you just, that the cross was a horrible death. The cross was a horrible death, but thousands of people died on the cross. Thousands of people died the horrible death, but nobody carried my sins on the cross. Nobody bore the burdens of the sins of every sin that has ever been sinned. No one bore our sins but you and you suffered more and went deeper into death than anyone has ever gone into death and you suffered more than anyone has ever suffered so that you could give us life and promise and salvation and eternity and we thank you Lord and when we get to heaven we're going to say, Lord, I'm sorry I complained. I'm sorry I murmured. I, I doubted. I questioned. Because I see it now. It's not worthy to be compared to the glory that is before us, to be revealed in us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you. Still love you. Whole week's gone by. Still love you.